electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of stocks and your money, and why one closely watched strategist says the major averages are still vulnerable. We'll debate the next direction for the markets with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today are Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal, Sarat Sethi, Bryn Talkington's back, the managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. I'll take you to the wall. I'll show you the markets. Rough day underway, as you know. Number of issues. The fourth straight down day for the S&P and the NASDAQ. You're taking a look at uh, some of the bigger movers there. There's Facebook, Amazon, your fangs on the bottom there. Apple in bear market territory. Joe, what's this about? What do you, you think is going on in the market, Joe? Well, I think, Scott, this is a, an absolute perfect uh, technical correction that we're experiencing. And we've been experiencing uh, from the beginning of the month. Um, I talked about it with you. I don't think, though, the time is now to be stepping in and thinking that it's over. Um, I agree with your opening. There is further weakness that lies ahead for the market. Let's keep in mind there's significant weakness in Germany. The DAX had an absolutely awful day, down 4.5%. I know Jim Cramer talked about Apple uh, being higher for the day as a good positive indicator, but Apple should be higher in a defensive tape. Yeah, so well, it's not overall, now, right? It's uh, not now. It wasn't able to, wasn't able to sustain um, that. It's, it's in a bear market, um, Bryn, and as long as Apple remains under some pressure, you have to believe the overall market's going to have a bit of its own problem, don't you think? Yeah, possibly. I mean, you know, I think, first of all, we needed a correction. And whether it's because the case, you know, the, the daily cases in Europe are now ahead of the U.S. or the debates next weekend or the election coming up, we needed this sell off. But this is a great thing. And I think that, you know, investors have to remember they have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I think it was a very healthy sell off. Um, would like to actually see a little bit more because that's going to be a good opportunity to get back into some of these growth names that are having a tiny little correction right now. Yeah. Steve, you know, how do you assess what what's going on in the market now and, and the way that investors need to, you know, not only think about it, but put it in perspective? You you have, you know, the virus situation over in Europe, the UK and Spain. Um, 200,000 and counting deaths now in the United States and cases ticking up in a number of places. You have the fallout politically, obviously, from the death of Justice Ginsburg. You have the possibility of chaos looming on election night. That's not that far away. So how are we supposed to, as investors, put all of that into perspective in the way we're thinking today about this market? Well, the first thing is I, I stopped trying to read the tea leaves like Apple's positive, so that's great for the market. None of this matters. Here's what does matter. When the Fed comes out and when they hold rates steady or take rates lower, the market almost always has a positive response to it. We didn't see that. As a matter of fact, 
we saw a negative response from the get-go. What that means is not that investors have lost confidence in the Fed, but they believe that the Fed's out of tools, and they don't believe that the Fed's going to be able to drive inflation over 2%. You think but that? Even if they you think, do, you think that? their Maybe, target's three years away. I don't know. Away. I mean, I think people still have confidence in the Fed. I, I really do, or the market wouldn't even be anywhere close to where it is now. Maybe, Steve, it's just a totally. realization that it was a somber right. and fairly sober look at where we are currently in the economy, regardless of what the Fed can or cannot do. The economy is what it is right now, and it's not great. Right, exactly. And I said the market hasn't lost confidence in the Fed. They just don't believe there's more in the toolbox, and there's a lot they can do to get the economy going. So it comes down to the economy. It comes down to the election. That's what's going to keep a, a sort of a governor on the market until we get through the election. They don't know that there's a president. We know for a fact we won't have a president right now on Election Day. So how long will that go? You go back to when Bush got elected. So to me, I just see a much worsening trade situation. I see CEOs, at least the ones I talk to, of large companies further retrenching. They have no idea where they should put money, whether they should invest in CapEx. And you're seeing the, the opening again trade just dissipating. So I'm with Bryn. I'm with Joe. Part of it's technical. A lot of it, I think, is fundamental and macro. But it's too early to put money to the market. The market really hasn't corrected. Valuation just hasn't taken a big enough hit for me to get comfortable. And when you want to invest, you want to be uncomfortable when you're putting money to work, but you also want to be an easy decision in terms of finding values that you can really hold on to. You're not there yet for either. So we're at, you know, down nearly 10% from the hmm. S&P's most recent high of September 2nd. NASDAQ, as you know, is down 12.5%, so it's been hit much harder. So, Jim, playing off what Steve Weiss said, are, are we truly in no man's land until we get through November 3rd? I don't think you have to wait that long. Maybe you do, but I just don't think so. Look, I think a little perspective here helps. Everything that was just said about this being a technical correction, I agree with. And all we've done is go back to July 29th on the S&P 500. So we've taken out the August rally. We've just, we've just vanished that, which frankly is appropriate. That was frothy. It was bubblicious. It was based on a lot of call buying, whether it's by SoftBank or Robinhood. It was based on supposition that Tesla was going to get added to the S&P 500. It was not fundamental and it had to come out. And now we're at a level where, sure, we may go, go down. I mean, there's another 4% on the S&P 500 until you reach the 200-day moving average. That's the key support that you'll look to. Now, you may reach that moving average, but that's only four percentage points away. And from there, you can start growing again. I'm not as negative as what I heard some people saying a minute ago about the economy. Look, yeah, the economy's in rough shape, but the, the statistics are coming in better than expected, and particularly where it matters, which is the labor reports. Weekly jobless claims continue to surprise to the upside, and the employment sub-indices of the Fed surveys look pretty good. So, yeah, there's risks, but things are coming in better than expected right now. Well, maybe on that note, I mean, look, Steve Leisman's hmm. got some information for us today that seems to be pretty decent, at least what I'm told for the consumer and the state of uh, the, the U.S. consumer. Steve, is that right? Yeah, that's right, Scott. And it plays directly into the conversation you're just having with Jim. What it shows is that the uh, Fed's week, uh, quarterly, uh, second quarter, uh, uh, flow of funds accounts is the biggest quarterly gain ever 
in household net worth, up by $7.6 trillion in the second quarter compared to the first. Household net worth rises to $118.9 trillion. Equity values up by 5.7. Real estate values gain 0.5. And I think the story here is that when you think about the economic effects of a, of a stock market sell-off, Still a lot of house money out there. On the other hand, it was the biggest quarterly gain ever in federal government debt, up by 59%, triple any quarter we had in the uh, great financial crisis. And the biggest drop ever in consumer credit outstanding. Consumer credit falling by 6.8%, the mortgage debt was up by 3%. So the households getting their uh, act together. They've been helped a lot by the fed by the federal government and by other uh, benefits that are out there, Scott, and by a hugely rising stock market, which is up more from the end of the second quarter. The macro effects of a sell-off, I just want to reiterate, I think there is house money to play with before it starts to dig into the, econo into the economy. And let's get the view of an another one of our committee members. Steve, thank you. That's Steve Leisman with that news. So, Surratt, house money plus Fed money, does that equal enough to offset some of the issues that I mentioned at the very top of the program? I, I think it does. At least I, I don't think we're going to get that much more of a sell-off, maybe another 5% until we kind of come back to, hey, where are fundamentals? And we mentioned, you know, there's money in the house, right? the housing money, the consumer is still strong. And I think, you know, no matter what political party you look at, they're going to be focused on this unemployment number. And that's going to be really important even before and after the election. So. We, we needed this pullback. You know, do we have more to come? Uh, absolutely. But I think there are going to be specific opportunities to look at. And, and when you're looking at, at the whole market as a whole, we saw tech really rally. A lot of the other stocks got left back, the cyclical, some of the value names. Those could be stocks that, that you know, we're looking at now to get kind of more interested in again. And I think you do have to get uncomfortable buying these, to Bryn's point. It's not easy buying these when, you know, we still don't know what is going to happen in the next six months. But I'm looking at large cap value companies, you know, the JP Morgans of the world, the Chevrons of the world, the Honeywells of the world. Those I want to add to my portfolio. And then if the market pulls back more, then I look for more more value. So, well. I mean, I, I want to be clear because, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at this. I'm looking at that doesn't tell our viewer whether you're buying this or buying that. And I know those are two entirely different things. We seem to be having a bit of a debate here on the on the, the desk if you will, whether it's virtual or, or otherwise, um, on whether now is the time to buy or not, or we're going to have a more significant correction in stocks. Are you, are you saying that now is the time to put money to work, Surat? If I have clients who have excess cash, I am now starting to put that money to work. And yes, I will buy JP Morgan and Honeywell and Chevron and some of the other large cap value names that I think are out there. Okay. The danger, of course, gang, is that the market is vulnerable to a bigger pullback. And that's what Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson is talking about today. Even, by the way, he's going to be with us tomorrow. So you're going to hear directly from him. But for now, we'll discuss uh, his note and his commentary today. And even though he's sticking by his view that we're in the early stages of a new bull market, he says, we believe the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100 remain vulnerable to test their 200-day moving averages, which are 7% and 14% lower, respectively. Just so we're, we're all playing in the same sandbox here, if you're, if you're looking at the numbers, uh, that would be the S&P 500's 200-day is 31.04, and the Nasdaq's 200-day is 94.89. Um, Steve, that's going to be painful for a lot of people if you have another 7% down in the S&P, and even more substantially, another 14% down in the Nasdaq, which led on the way up 
in a very concentrated tape of a select number of names that had these ginormous gains and really carried the load for everybody. Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily buy into the house money uh, argument because when the market's going down, it's painful. And let's keep in mind that we've got, in my view anyway, a lot of weak-handed, uh, weak holding so, uh, by the Robin Hood group, by people that came into the market late, that they're not that loyal to the market. We're seeing that reflected in, for example, Snow as Snowflake that just came public. They don't stay there for a very long time because it's a new holding. They don't really know what they have. They bought momentum. So it could be painful. And, and just to, to comment on what Jim said, I don't use a time frame. While I'm pointing to the November election as the period when I think the volatility will stop shortly thereafter, if something gets particularly cheap in the interim, I'll buy it. For example, XPL Logistics, we had an upgrade of UPS. We've had many upgrades of FedEx, Federal Express. While XPO isn't the same exact business, that stock's down more than 10% in a week. So I added to it. I had a core position, I added to it as a trading position. So there's opportunity out there, but broadly, I just think it's a bad time to be buying the market, and if there's more downside. Can I jump ahead. in on that, Scott? Go, go ahead, Jim, and then I want to hear from Bryn, but Jim, yeah. go ahead. I, because, look, when we're talking about have things gotten cheap enough, I think there's an important fact that doesn't get enough press, which is that there have been a ton of equity ETF and mutual fund outflows all year. Okay, January, there were fund inflows, but since January, there's been about a $350 billion outflow from equity mutual funds and ETFs. July alone was out $60 billion. That is the cash on the sidelines. Now, we speak about it anecdotally when we say, hey, Jimmy, hey, Steve, you guys have some cash on the sidelines. When are you going to deploy it? That's a large number of people who have been waiting to buy the dip. And the question is, are you going to buy the dip or are you going to wait for something worse? I don't think with the Fed support, and we're questioning it, I get that. But I don't think with the level of Fed support right now that you should wait much longer. If the S&P 500 goes down 4%, 4%, it gets to the 200-day moving average. I would expect that that is the support that comes in and people are buying the dip at that level. Yeah, but you know how this goes, Jim. You know, a lot of people say they're going to buy the dip until they're staring the, the dip uh, right in the face. That's true. And then it feels bad. And then they're afraid to, to buy the dip because they're not sure if the dip has run its course. So we've seen that movie play out. That's before. why I'm e even though all the points you make as to why you may want to do that sound great. Um, you know, human action is a lot of, is a lot different sometimes than, than what, what people say. Bryn, I know you wanted to get in the conversation, too. So please. Yeah, well, I think especially, you know, on, on Mike Wilson's note about especially the NASDAQ going to the 200 day, it's actually if you go back, you know, 20 years, 10 years, it's actually pretty rare when the NASDAQ actually touches its moving day, its 200 moving day average. It was, you know, I think 2016, December of 2018, this year, of course, in March. And so it is rare when it gets down there. It would be, you know, historically a tremendous tremendous buying opportunity. I don't think it will get there. I think more around 10,200, 10,300. But to your point, it's interesting. You know, I'm looking, you know, Square is now up for the day. NVIDIA is up. Adobe's up. And so I do think, you know, to Steve's point earlier about, you know, the Fed intervention, there's so much money on the cash on the sidelines. I do think these sell-offs are going to be short and shallow, and they may be quick, but short and shallow in tech, because regardless of who wins, by the way, you know, how does, how does whether Biden or Trump 
affect Square going forward? How does it affect Tesla? How does it affect Lumina? I don't think it really does. And so I think as we get closer to the election, people are going to move back into tech because you don't have such a binary outcome with tech as you do in so many other industries. For sure. But, you know, if there is market upset as a result of uncertainty related to the election, stocks are those stocks may go down with with, uh, you know, everything else just because the market has has a bit of an upset. I want to continue the conversation. I do, though, want to go to Elon Moy down in Washington, D.C. She does have a news alert for us right now. Elon. Well, Scott, very soon the House is slated to release the text of its stopgap funding bill that would keep the government open beyond September 30th. That's according to a source familiar who also says that the bill would keep the government open through December 11th. That's notably after the election. The bill will not include a White House request for a provision related to farm aid, but it also will not include a provision that Democrats had asked for related to reduced costs for school lunches. So that appears to signal that the talks to keep the government open do remain on track. Lawmakers should be able to avert a shutdown before September 30th, even amidst all of the heated political rhetoric we're hearing over the Supreme Court. Scott. Okay. Elon, thank you. As if we needed another thing to uh, keep our eyes on down in Washington. Uh, thank you for that. So, so let's talk about sort of the other, the other side of, of the equation, all these things to potentially be worried about. And then, Joe, you have a note today out from, you know, two pretty good market watchers, Marco Kalanovich, J.P. Morgan, a guy some say, you know, has the ability to move the market. His colleague, uh, Bram Kaplan, are out with a note saying portfolio rebalances should be a tailwind for stocks starting next week because of the outperformance of bonds over equities. You're going to have a rebalance at month end rather than quarter end, and that's going to be a stimulus for equities. Jim Cramer was out today saying, I'm more constructed than I've been, and he said that stocks have basically been down for three weeks. So it's time, right? They're, maybe they're, they are down enough. Keep an eye on Apple, which as we said, had entered bear market territory, had popped positive and is now hanging right around the flat line there. And then let's also not forget in all of the the gloom and the doom and a lot of it rightfully so about the course of this virus, you do have therapeutics, antibodies, vaccines down the pike as as well. So, Joe, how do you factor all that in? I think uh, factoring that in is I don't think the rebalancing Catalyst is going to be as strong as we saw in the month of April coming off of March. I think that earnings could potentially be a positive for the market. I think, as I said before, the performance of Apple, Apple should be positive in this environment. I'm going to continue to use the word vulnerable. And I heard mentioned before a quick, fast correction. Well, maybe a quick, fast correction isn't the correction that we need most. Maybe what we need is a normal correction, which takes three to four months and where the market goes down somewhere around 13 percent. So there's a tremendous amount of negative news, Scott, that the market has had to digest here in the last four days. I would offer that it's probably uh, the strongest amount of negative news that we've had since March. And the market is responding accordingly in a negative capacity. Think about this on Friday. You had the single biggest outflow from the QQQ that you have seen since October of 2008. Then you get the horrific news over the weekend about India and UK viruses rising. You get the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg. This is this calamitous environment of negative news. And I think the pressure on stocks, given where they were one month ago, is not going to abate anytime soon. Okay. When we all know we're coming into an even more hot, highly uh, volatile election season. 
I think those are all valid and good points to make. We'll discuss them with our next guest as well. Tom Lee is joining us right now. He is, of course, Fundstrat's Global Advisors Head of Research. Tom, welcome back. Thank you. Have we entered into a dangerous period now for stocks because of many of the things that Joe just said? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the market is dangerous now. I mean, we've had a great run since March, um, and we won't really have clarity from Washington for many months. But as scary as this period's going to be, and I think stocks might be vulnerable, I think it's very likely stocks will make their lows before Election Day. So I think everything that your panelists have said, I, I would agree with, which is, you know, since 2009, we've learned when you have deep pullbacks like this, and this is painful, but the VIX is actually not making a new high, and we've got 4.4 trillion of cash on the sidelines, and we know that the PMIs are telling us a pretty vigorous recovery is underway, and then the Fed is accommodated. I mean, to me, you know, this is going to be a huge buying opportunity. I want to make sure we understand each other, um, because we've highlighted when you have been positive and you've been positive more often than than not and you've been right to be that way because the market has obviously followed suit and performed the way that you thought it would but you just said we think the market is dangerous now okay well yeah and i think part of it is the, there's a little bit of uncertainty about the leadership because as you guess i'll point it out you know growth and tech have been leaders, but that is 76% of the market cap. And once we get through this period of choppiness into election day and the focus is on the economy and the recovery and stimulus passing, that's going to be more favorable for cyclicals. So you still have a a bit of a three to one ratio where if people do have to rotate out, there's a lot of large cap they have to get out of and not a lot of epicenter to get into. So I think that's what makes it dangerous, Scott. But again, I think it's very likely we make our lows before Election Day. So to me, if I was a long-term holder, I wouldn't be doing anything. How much more downside do you think exists in in the market? Do you agree with the Mike Wilson narrative that you go, you know, S&P and NASDAQ go to the 200-day, test test that, which is, you know, not insignificant to the downside from here? Yeah, I mean, the 200-day would be kind of a magnetic level. So I'm sure that the market could test that level. But when we look at how oversold it is, we're pretty close to where we were in late March. So, I mean, I would be looking at this as an opportunity, not as something to try to sell to to avoid 4% downside. I I would look at this as a massive amount of emerging opportunities being created. Well, and and you're sticking with your your S&P target, which is what, 3525 for end of year? Yes, that's right. And that's a lot of upside from here. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to get there um, in the face of all that that we're facing. I mean, h- how do you view the virus right now and, and the impact that it would have on the market as you you know, we look across the pond, we see what's happening in the UK and Spain and some areas over there. It's it's uh, concerning to say the least. Um, it's not as though we've completely controlled the virus here in any stretch of the imagination, regardless of of what you may hear. Uh, in certain places. So how does that all factor into what could happen in stocks? Because you have to consider the performance of the economy between now and the end of the year to get to that, as you said, pretty considerable distance between now and your target of 3525. Yes, you're 100% right. Um, You know, the virus is probably the single biggest macro factor in 2020. I mean, it's caused the Fed to act, you know, 
global shutdowns. And I think that there is, uh, you know, an economy that's still stuck in neutral. But organically, it does look like the U.S. is not necessarily seeing it disappear, but it is under control. And there is much better health outcomes. There's a lot less death. And, you know, the big binary effect is if we get, you know, therapeutics or a vaccine or a cure, these are all positives. But I, I would say, you know, one thing we don't know is if there's going to be a second wave. So predicting the path of the virus is really difficult. And I think a lot of forecasters have divergent views. There's a lot of people who think there's a huge second wave and there's a lot who think it's, it's contracting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not contracting in a number of of states around the country. In fact, it's up double digits in many places. So, you know, I want to I want to stay with the with with the facts, regardless of what people say uh, or what they think. Um, the numbers tell the story. And that's the, the, what we'll, we're going to continue to follow. Tom, thank you. That's Tom Lee um, joining us there. All right, Joe. Tom Lee's kind of sanguine. I mean, it's not like, you know, look, he's come on this program and, and he's been very bullish and he's told, you know, everybody to buy the dip and you got to go into the places that may feel like the most dangerous at certain times, those epicenter stocks. Um, he sounded to me a little more sanguine, I think, than, than he has been. Agreed, yes. Um, and, and I agree with Tom. I, I, whoever it is that uh, wins the election in November, I think the S&P will exceed the 3588 high that we have from earlier in September. But before all of that, there is a lot for the market to digest. There is a lot as it relates to things like the flattening of the yield curve. And you, you can't offer the steepening of the yield curve as a reason for equities to be going up in August. And when it begins to flatten, just to begin to ignore that. You can't look at European equities and see a day like we did for the DAX today, down 4.5% and just ignore that. So, Scott, I, I just think the market remains in a very vulnerable position. Well, you sold, and on a day when we're talking about... You, you sold J.P. Morgan. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I want to get to the heart of this real quick. You sold J.P. Morgan sure. and you sold Chevron. I sold J.P. Morgan and Chevron uh, towards the end of last week. I'm concerned about financial institutions. I looked at my ownership. I have Goldman Sachs. I have Morgan Stanley. I have the NASDAQ. Uh, clearly, there is going to be, as we get towards the election and on the other side, a regulatory risk as it relates to the financial sector. Given where the market is right now, I thought with J.P. Morgan, I would take the profit that I have from earlier in the spring as it relates to Chevron. I told you last week, energy is just absolutely trading awful. Natural gas is below $2. Oil seems to be failing here in the 40s. I don't want ownership right now of energy equities. I'm out of Chevron. I own not a single energy equity. Wow. You, you mentioned also the, the banks and you, you know, you've got, now you've got that story, Bryn, out of Europe about the banks. Um, so the banks are all down. You bought Goldman Sachs. You bought Goldman Sachs. You said you'll buy more after the show, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, the story in Europe's terrible, first of all. So we'll, we'll see how that continues to manifest itself. But I think with Goldman, what's interesting is that, you know, Goldman of all of the banks, I feel like has the least amount of exposure to a zero rate environment and net interest margin detraction. And if you look at Goldman, you know, under $200, historically, it's been a very good entry point. They have a huge private equity business. As the economy recovers, their, their, their investment banking, they are number one in M&A every single year. They have great consumer exposure with Marcus and then with their Apple credit card. And so, you, you know, you put all that together, you know, under $200, I think it's a great entry point. And they have the least amount of, we'll say, regulatory 
regulatory risk because they also do a tremendous amount in trading and execute really well. And so I'll buy more today. I think it's a good entry point, especially when the financials in general are under pressure. But I do think the, the, the news today is more of a European bank issue than a U.S. bank or definitely not a goal. I don't think it's a Goldman Sachs issue. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Coming up, stocks are selling off, as you know, today in a big way. There are a number of bullish calls, though. We're going to run through some of those. We'll do that when we come back. Boeing, UPS, and Oracle. We'll debate all of those next. And as we go to break, take a look at the major averages, which you are right now. We're off the lows. Still a nasty Monday, though. 26,904 is where the Dow is currently trading. S&P's off about 2%, 32.55, and the NASDAQ at 10,673, a little more than 1%. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Let's look at the wall today, our Dow heat map, as the Dow is under some big-time pressure, nearly two and three-quarters percent. You do have only two stocks in the green, one of them being Apple, which has been in bear market territory. Nonetheless, with a broader market, S&P 500, NASDAQ, NASDAQ 100, fourth straight negative session. By the way, the NASDAQ 100, its worst month since October of 2008. As we watch yet another sell-off, try and put all of this into some perspective. And we go to Sue Herrera now for the other headlines of the day. Hi, Sue. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. The body of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg will lie in repose at the Supreme Court on Wednesday and Thursday. Her casket will then be moved to Capitol Hill, where she will be only the second justice to lie in state there. The first was William Taft, who was both chief justice and president. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and other Trump cabinet members announcing new sanctions against Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro and Iran's Ministry of Defense for aiding Iran's nuclear weapons program. You can go to CNBC.com for more on the latest sanctions. And an advisory board to the Census Bureau recommends this year's count of all U.S. residents be extended until the end of October, saying more time is needed for an accurate tally and a robust processing of all of that data. You are up to date. Busy news day, busy market day. Scott, back to you. All right. Certainly is, Sue. Thank you. Sue Herrera. Several big calls on the street today. Let's start with Jim. I want to go to you because we got Boeing and Raytheon. Both, both added to Goldman's yeah. conviction buy list. Uh, you own both. So they've been on your conviction buy list for a long time. I, <laughs> thanks, Scott. Uh, probably wrongly so. I mean, let's take the more electric of the two, which is Boeing, right? That's the hot button name. Um, at this point, you know, Boeing's off 60% from where it was a year ago, which means that now you're getting the company for the value of the defense business and basically assigning zero value to the commercial business. Maybe that's right. I mean, certainly I think for the next year, the commercial business is an albatross, but you know, at some point a vaccine comes in or treatment or something that gets flying going again. And so you've got a call option at the current price. You've got a zero premium call option on the commercial business and you're getting the defense business at a decent price. I like Boeing here. And basically it's the same argument with Raytheon, but it's just easier to describe Boeing. Yeah, but, uh, you know, let's be clear, right? Uh, 
don't you want to own Boeing for the long term for the commercial aviation business, right? You're, yes. you're not making yes. a big so overarching yeah. buy case on, on that's its the de upside. defense business. What's well, not the upside, the, it's no, the most could, important but, side. But, 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 look, the question, the question is, what's the downside from here? I mean, look, the downside is there could be liabilities that are unexpected that come from the commercial side. But the upside, you are correct, Scott, comes from the commercial business. On that note, you know, the 737 MAX, we're not talking about it very much, but it has been flying with regulators. It looks like it's going to get back into the service beginning of next year. Um, but what you really need for the commercial business is some treatment, passengers? at least treatment, if not passengers of the, uh, of the virus. <laughs> Flyers, travelers. Early next year. Business next travelers. Steve Weiss, wait. you wouldn't touch Boeing here. No, so I've got a great buy idea for you, Jim. I've got this company where all of their customers are insolvent uh, and may go bankrupt if they don't oh, get bailouts. Oh, stop it, Steve, where their largest Steve, end I just mark, told you where where their large, let me finish, Jim. For zero. Let me, let, let me finish, let me finish, where one of their largest Steve, end markets, you're getting the China, commercial business is talking for about zero. putting them on, putting them on the, the suspect list, the unreliable list, and where their most profitable customer business isn't going to fly even when you get a vaccine because they can save the cost and save the trouble by working from their offices, which people are becoming accustomed to. So I don't know where the buy thesis is for Boeing. Oh, and let me throw in management has distinguished themselves being particularly poor at navigating both the max crisis and the virus. So no, not for me. Sorry. Steve, you totally ignored the argument. And I love you, and we love to mix it up, but you totally ignored the argument. The value of the commercial business in the stock right now is zero, okay? There's only one direction it can go, which is up. That's the upside case. The defense business gives you the floor. I get it. You don't want to buy it, and we like to mix it up. That's fine. But don't ignore the right. argument he that I just put He didn't ignore it. He just gave no credence to it. Right, and, and Jim, no, don't forget, they put a lot more debt in that company. Well, but they put a lot more debt in the company. So that old argument that you're paying, you're not paying anything for the de defense business isn't true anymore because they're leveraging those cash flows that they need to repay the debt from the defense business. Steve, the stock's off 60% from a year ago. Don't buy it if you don't want to, but I'm telling you why I own it today. Bryn? You, Jim, you, it's what? our it's our love yep. it's our love for each other. I'm trying to save you additional pain. As much as as much as, I mean, as, as, much as America it, it wants to hear Monday. more from the two of you, um, because it's so stimulating. <laughs> I, I want to go to Bryn uh, on Boeing. What, what's the right play here, Bryn? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that I think Jim. I mean, actually, Jim and Steve both bring up great points. I do think Jim, though, having that call option on flights is really important and I mean Goldman Sachs has very credible research it's on their once again highest conviction list you have either one of the greatest opportunities to buy a really important company that's globally that to Jim's points down 60 percent over the last year I think it comes down to management and and everyone feeling confident that the right management is in place and you don't have another GE scenario but I'll say this though I've been on a plane every week for the past six weeks there are a lot of people in the airports and people are flying and I don't buy that everyone's going to go back to this Zoom world and do Zoom video calls. It's just like so much is left out of conversation. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing spontaneous that happens. And when I go to the airports, everyone's wearing a mask. Everyone wears a mask on a plane. And if you look at Southwest, 
you know, Southwest is a very credible airline. They're going to be, you know, a huge, a huge buyer of the 737 Max. And so I think, I think I'm going to lean more to Jim and say this is a good opportunity to hold your breath, once again, hold your nose and buy Boeing. Didn't you sell Southwest? Well, I traded it. So it's interesting. I mean, it's down. I sold it at 42 last week. And so I may buy it back. I mean, if it gets into like, it's almost at 36 right now. If it, I may just buy it right back. 37.57. I don't, I don't know if you have a return where you can actually see it in, in real time right here. It's 37.61. Yeah. 37.60. Yeah, it. I'm a huge, I'm a huge Gary Kelly fan. I mean, obviously they're based in Dallas, live in Houston. They're a wonderfully run airline. Those airlines have full people. The middle row is empty tor towards October 31st, at least. And I think at the end of the day, Southwest will pick up market share from the other airlines. And so I've, you know, I've traded it twice. Definitely, if it gets a little bit weaker, I'll get right back in because I do think ultimately it will go above that 42, 43 level. And so I'm definitely happy to step back in if it gets a point or two lower. Okay. Um, let's talk about Duncan Brands for a second. Upgraded to overweight at Piper. Uh, the target goes to 89 from 66. Joe, you used to own it. Jim, you own Starbucks instead. Joe, I go to you, though, since you, you have prior ownership with it, having sold it in August. Yeah, and purchasing Starbucks, so I'm with Jimmy on that one. I think Starbucks is the better trade. The last quarter uh, for Duncan was incredibly disappointing, and they're going to have to come back with some quality quarters in the future to reattract investors. Um, I read the note. A lot of it, uh, obviously, is, is related to what we all thought would be the fundamental momentum for Duncan in prior quarters, but the reality of that last earnings report, it did not come to fruition. And until it does, I don't think you step in and buy it. You stay with Starbucks. All right, good stuff coming up. The big ETS to watch today in the sell-off. I'll show you the S&P sector heat map as well before we head to break. We're off the lows of the day. Dow is still down about 760 or so points. S&P 500 under some pressure still down 2%. There's been some buying in tech. The Nasdaq fighting its way back. It's still down more than 1%. As you see, all of the S&P sectors are in the red. We're back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started.
And welcome back, Bob Pisani, with our ETF Edge segment today. Heavy volume in a lot of these big ETFs today. Joining us to discuss, Dave Nodick from ETF Trends, Nicholas Coles from Datatrek. Dave, uh, the heavy volume is coming from several directions today. Tech-oriented ETFs, the robotics ETF, semis, lithium and batteries, momentum ETF itself, all off of the lows, but down on heavy volume, also cyclical names associated with the reopening down on heavy volume, the oil, metals, airlines, banks. Dave, is the reopening fizzling here? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what's happening. As the reopening is fizzling, we're starting to bring some reality back to some of these names that may have run too long. You look at what's working at things like it's things like materials. I think we got a long way to go before we can really get a rally until we can find a bottom in some of these names that ran so hard. Yeah. You know, Nick, despite today's action, other parts of the market are holding up a lot better than tech and banks like materials and some of the industrials for the month. But both tech and banks are down big in September. I'm wondering how long can you really keep a rally or get off of the lows here when tech and banks are not contributing at all? They're not bouncing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, tech and banks are 37% of the S&P 500, and the big five tech names are 22% on their own. So that and correlations rising during periods of volatility, it's very hard to hold the market up if you just, even if you've got a couple of small groups working. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. It's going to, more to come on ETF Edge at 105 Eastern Time. Fascinating discussion. We'll be joined by Larry Swedro from Buckingham. He's out with a new book on why active management is still underperforming passive management and why it's getting even worse. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Don't miss our podcast as well. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob. Appreciate that very much. You've got questions about stocks in this sell-off? Well, our investment committee is ready to answer them. You can reach us at cnbc.com slash halftime. You can tweet us as well. We're back in just 30 seconds. All right, welcome back. There you go. A decidedly down day for the market. We're going to do our Q&A for our investment committee in a minute. Jim, I want to start out with you, though, uh, because we just got a tweet, and it's a good point as, as well, from uh, Sahil Alvi, who says, yep. would you please ask the guests about Raytheon, which got lost in the debate around Boeing, uh, which is a fair point. It certainly did. We spent a lot of time on Boeing in that conversation. But, Jim, you own Raytheon, which was added to Goldman's conviction buy list along with Boeing. So what's your take, uh, as our guest would like to know? Yeah, and I'm sorry I didn't get into it, but it is very similar uh, to Boeing in that it has a very good defense business, but it's being held back right now by the commercial jet business, right? They need to sell jet engines that go on commercial airliners. In the meantime, what's keeping them afloat and what I think is undervalued is the services contracts that they have on existing jets on commercial jet engines, that is, on existing commercial uh, airliners. So between that and the defense business, that kind of compensates for the fact that we're not building jet airliners at the pace we would like. Bottom line is this stock is now priced in very similarly to Boeing, that there's very little uh, priced in as far as any pickup in commercial jet construction. So that's potential upside, but you may have to wait several months, a couple of quarters for it to come to fruition. All right. I appreciate that, Jim. Uh, thank you. Thanks to our viewer, uh, too, for pointing that out. Uh, didn't want to just jump over that. Sarat, I got one for you. David in Colorado, what should I do with Delta Airlines? Should I just dump airlines in general and find a better sector? No, I think Delta is, is the premier airline. That's the one I want to own. I've sold off my other exposure there. I think longer term, Delta's, they just raise more capital. They're going to survive through this. 
and I think they're going to come out much stronger and better, which they've already been one of the best in the industry. Bryn, to you from Bruce down in Texas, what do you think of USA Momentum ETF MTUM? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big investor in it. Um, I love it. I think it's a great strategy. Um, I would, I would, we buy it. We buy it all the time. And just so the viewers know, what's really great about it is every six and 12 months, they do a rebalance. So November, they'll have another rebalance. And they look for, for, for companies that have positive six and 12 month price momentum. So right now, it's very tech heavy. But if you get a secular shift or a shift in, let's say, value or financials start to outperform technically from a six and 12 month, then on that next rebalance, they'll go in. And so I think it's a really good core holding for investors to have companies with good technicals, regardless of sector. All right, good stuff there. Had a question for the investment committee on the half. You can email us now and you can send us your question by video and we will play it on the air. That's askhalftime at cnbc.com. Look forward to getting those. Let's go to Julia Borston now, who has a news alert and an update on the developing TikTok saga drama, whatever you want to call it, Julia. It's it's quite a saga. Well, a source close to the situation tells me that the, the folks at TikTok and Oracle and Walmart do expect the deal to go through as it was approved by the president. They do expect Beijing, the Chinese government, to sign off on this deal as well. Now, this comment is in contradiction to the Global Times editor tweeting out that China won't approve the current TikTok deal. But I do have a source close to the situation saying that they do expect China to approve the deal. So we'll see what happens next. Uh, but a lot of conflicting narratives here. Scott, back yeah, over to that's you. That's an understatement. Julia, thank you so much for that update. That's Julia Borston. More trades ahead on the half and Delivering Alpha is back for its 10th year on September 30th. Guests including Mary Erdos, Carla Harris, Jamath Pali Hapatia, many, many more. You can visit DeliveringAlpha.com to learn more and please register. We will see you there. We're back. It's time for the Futures Outlook. Our next guest sees a buying opportunity in the tech wreck. Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial joining us now. Why is the time now, Kilberg, well, to buy? Well, Judge, it's interesting. Everyone's talking about it. This is the worst month for tech since 2008. It's down 15%. I would like to highlight the fact this is the best five-month run we've had in tech in nearly history, up 85% from that March 23rd low. So we talk a lot about this sector rotation. People are booking profits. People are diminishing their exposure as we go into Q4. But this is a buying opportunity. Get off money at your desk. This is a buying opportunity in the December futures. I'll be a buyer at 10700 looking for a move higher up to 11000 I'm being mindful and putting a stop at 10500 Nearly a two-to-one risk-reward, risking 4000 to make 6000 But, Judge, I'll leave you with this. An old adage from the pits. Trade the market that's in front of you, not trade the market that you want. Well, a lot of people are scared about the market that's in front of them. Jeff, that's part of the issue. So we'll see what happens with tech and the NASDAQ. I agree. It's the velocity. It's the velocity of this move. But I think those who are waiting, or maybe who missed it, the 200-day moving average, that test, I don't think it's coming, Judge. At the end of the day, the NASDAQ 100 futures has become like a U.S. Treasury. This is where assets come during fear. Yeah. I'll remind you that uh, Mike Wilson is going to join us tomorrow about that call 
of the Nasdaq uh, being vulnerable and the S&P to their 200-day moving averages, which are substantially lower from where we're trading uh, right now, certainly in the Nasdaq's case. Jeff? I will headbutt headbutt Mike Wilson anytime you want, Judge. I appreciate it. We'll, We'll talk to you soon. That's Jeff Kilberg joining us. Final trade straight ahead. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. Time for Final Trades. Bryn, you're up first. Uh, I'll be a buyer of Goldman Sachs. Buy it at 190. I look to sell it at 220. They've got four key areas of growth, investment banking, trading, private equity, and their consumer play. All right. Thank you, Jim. I see Roku up 16.5%. Is this you? Judge, you, you know, Judge, this is my, my favorite trading vehicle, frankly, my only one. It's up 6% from when I bought it. I think it's got another 12%. It'll be above $200 a share. I'm going to hang in through the ups and downs here. Okay. Good day for that stock for certain. Uh, Surat, what do you have for us? I got an Oracle. Uh, it had a great earnings report, and now you've got this uh, other information going on. It's a cloud computing inflection point. I like this uh, at these levels. Yeah, it did get an upgrade, too, uh, for Oracle uh, today. Steve Weiss? cash, but if you feel you have to do something, buy the cues into the close today, but go home flat. Cash. Wow. Okay. Joey. Whether the S&P's up or down 5%, Apple will outperform. All right. Good stuff. Good to see everybody. Thanks for watching. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.